0: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular MoneySense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com moneysense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is Jim DeYoung and he is an attorney with the law firm of O'Neill Cannon Holman, DeYoung and Ling. And he is located right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I thought what a wonderful opportunity with so many businesses being at risk and so many businesses actually doing very well in this time that we would really talk to an expert who can help us look at some of the legal implications, look at exactly what is going on with businesses in Milwaukee, what you might wanna do should you be thinking of either merging or of selling your business and different possibilities um, that you have in actually in that arena. Welcome to the show, Jim.
1: Thank you very much, Karen.
0: You know, it's been there's been so much information out there about businesses that are doing well, those that may not make it. And I think if you could give us some clarity on what does the Milwaukee climate look like?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. From our perspective, uh, our client base is uh, on the business end is closely held businesses, uh, some family-owned, others not family-owned but what we see with our client base is really uh, manufacturing firms almost all of them are classified as essential so manufacturing firms uh, remain operational they've certainly had to make some adjustments because of the social distancing and the other hygiene issues we also work with a lot of firms that are uh, uh, distribution firms or firms that are heavy into uh, IT, uh, financial related IT services. All of those businesses are deemed to be essential. And so all of those businesses are are operating. How well they're doing really is largely dependent upon what their customer base looks like. If it's a, a customer base that is serving other industries that are deemed to be essential, they're doing fine. If it's uh If it's a company that is manufacturing things that for which there's heightened demand as a a result of this crisis, they're doing really very well and even hard to keep up. I have a uh, client friend who owns a paper converting company which among other things makes toilet paper and you can imagine uh, how stressed they are trying to keep up with uh, demand for the products that they create. For companies that uh, do a lot of work with uh, food service related companies. It's a tough time right now. They have uh, good customers, historically good customers, that uh, are in a position where they're deemed non essential right now. They're not sure when they'll reopen. They're not, not sure when they reopen if it'll be at 10% capacity, 25 50% capacity. So there's a lot of uncertainty around those. Some of those are pivoting to focus on some products other than the traditional food service, commercial food service type products. Uh, And then there's the service providers that are deemed to be uh, non-essential. And, you know, that would include bars and restaurants, but things like uh, hair salons and nail salons. We do work with, uh, we have a couple of clients in those spaces and it's tough for them, but I, I would say, uh, the bread and butter for the Milwaukee economy in our view has for a long time been the companies that are manufacturing based and distribution based. And those companies are operational and they are they are being tested on their creativity right now as to how they adjust to these new conditions, how they uh, work with their employees, how they provide safe environments for their employees, how they react when there are issues. So I agree that the headlines you read do focus on the uh, doom and gloom and the situations that um, where they are for shutdowns. But there's a lot of businesses that are operating and, and operating very well. I will say, though, the uncertainty regarding how long this lasts and at what stage we start to return to some phase of normal, however, that's going to be fine. It defined going forward, uh, really is tough and presents a planning scenario that I think is different for these clients, even the ones that went through 2008 and even 9-11, where it was a uh, much more defined time period. So there are challenges, but uh, there's a lot of businesses in the state and in the greater Milwaukee area that uh, are open, are operating and dealing with challenges like all of us are.
0: Jim, when you talk about the people who went through 2008 and eight and nine eleven, of course it wasn't a global right. pandemic, it, it happened to us in the States, but what about those people who are sitting back and saying, I went through 2008, I went through nine eleven, I can't go through this again. I, I, it's time to retire. It's time to get out. I mean, is there, and I'm guessing just by the way you're talking and the insight that you have into um, just what's going on in Milwaukee, that that's an important part of the relationship with the attorney. Um, As we look at it as financial advisors, this is when we earn our money. I mean, really and truly is when the market and this roller coaster ride we're there to keep our clients balanced and keep them on a strong foundation to make good, good decisions and not to make decisions out of fear and panic. How are you helping your clients that are looking at you and say, Jim, I think I'm done?
1: Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's interesting uh, with some of our long-term clients, and many of them are very long-term. And like I said, most of them on the business end are closely held. So we're working with not just the people running the company, but the people who own the company. There have been a number of things over the years, starting with 9-11 and certainly 2008-2009, that affected uh, the uh, what companies were worth because of external factors. So we've seen a lot of situations where the owner, uh, during that period where uh things were down, said, well, I can't do this any longer. This is too tough. And then things turn around and they will turn around here. There's different views on how it will. But then when things are on the uptick again, one of the common refrains we hear is uh, we'll say, you know what, if you want to sell this, not really might be a good time. And oftentimes people have invested their lives in these companies. And so oftentimes we'll hear well, you know, I think I'll hold on to it for a couple more years. So we see that go. We see that go back and forth. So I, I think that the, uh, the best thing to do, is really have a clear picture, uh, the owner to have a clear picture of what their longer term plan is, because uh, we find that it's really not. A good long-term plan if it's something that is always changing. I think I'll give it a couple more years. I think I'll give it a year. I think having a view for what that is, and I think you probably see a lot of that advising your clients from the financial end, too. So I think taking a longer view, if their company is a company that's solid and although challenged by this COVID-19 stuff, uh, they have – that. basically, they're a strong company. They've made adjustments in this period uh, understanding if, and when they want to sell and there will be buyers. Uh, there are buyers. Now I would say what we've seen primarily with the deals in our pipeline, they've not died. The hold button has been, the pause button has been hit on many deals, just as people get a feel for how things are going to play out. So I would advise to not make rash, rash decisions because generally If you make a rash decision based upon one event or another, uh, it's going to be in a situation where it's not advantageous uh, to the seller.
0: My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung, and he is with the firm O'Neill Cannon, Holman, DeYoung, and Ling, and they are located right downtown in Milwaukee. If you would like to reach out to Jim, you can do that by calling 414 276 Jim, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, let's take a look at an individual that is thinking of perhaps selling their business, but they're trying to figure out what the impact of COVID-19 has had on their business. And how will buyers be looking at things? Will they be looking at things differently now? Or is it going to go back to the same old way business was done in the past? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is Jim DeYoung, and he is an attorney with the law firm O'Neill, Cannon, Holman, DeYoung, and Ling. And we have been talking about business, business in the Milwaukee community, um, what's been happening. And during the break, Jim and I were talking, and I had mentioned that People right now, I think, are um, they're wondering if they have a business, what is the impact on my business and what types of changes will I have to make? And if they are thinking about selling, how are buyers looking at businesses differently than they may have looked before this world you know, um, pandemic happened?
1: That's a good question. And we talked a little bit before about 2008, 2009 for uh, at least a couple of years after 2008-2009, one of the surefire due diligence questions that buyers would ask is, how did your company perform during 2008 and 2009? So this is sort of uh, 2008-2009 on steroids for some of the reasons that we've talked about. So it's certain that buyers are going to be looking at how the target company performed uh, during this period of time. Uh, So that's going to mean that it's gonna be important for the uh, client to continue to to figure how they can, with creativity, continue to operate, mitigate losses and and negative impacts that could result from this crisis. I think it's also going to be very important for clients to keep, contemporaneous records as to some of the impacts that were specific to this COVID-19 situation, lost contracts, uh, non-productive labor costs, things of that sort. So they can specifically identify some of the one-time impacts, negative impacts that happened to the company arising out of this crisis. The reason that's important is one of the things that happens when buyers are, buyers are talking with a seller about a company, one of the things that the seller wants to be able to present are one-time adjustments that ought to happen to their financials called addbacks in the M&A world. Uh, that should, because they were one-time and because they can be explained very thoroughly, should not be considered to be a deduction from the value of the company, but rather added back because there's the expectation it will not be uh, a recurring event. A simple example not related to this would be maybe some of the perks that an owner pulls out of the business that would not continue after the fact. So, um, you know, keeping a very close eye on accurate and concurrent record keeping about, the negative impacts that this particular COVID-19 situation has had on their businesses is going to be important. And also to the extent that they pivoted and made adjustments uh, during this period, uh, being able to show recognition of the problem, how they addressed it, and how they moved forward with those things addressed, I think is going to be uh, very important. The questions certainly will be asked and uh, It's a really to have the time to think about it in advance before you're asked the question and to prepare is really going to be a key here, I think. So uh, these times are nerve wracking to business owners and very stressful to business owners, but trying to climb out of that uh, stress a little bit and focus on the things that are going to impact the value of the company going forward and explain some of the downturns that have happened as a result of what we're in right now, I think is going to be uh, really important. You know, I think also there's something else that buyers as sellers ought to be doing during this period where uh, they may have the time or ought to try to create the time to do it, to oversimplify a merger and acquisition deal or the sale of a business. In some ways, it's not unlike selling your home you need to have curb appeal and then there's the inspection report and what buyers do is they do due diligence on the company which is sort of what I say is parallel to in the home setting what a uh, inspection report is and oftentimes we see when we're working with a client who's selling that there's some things that they have not paid attention to uh, in an orderly fashion over the years such that they're in sort of a panic uh, trying to pull it together as we're trying to get the company ready for sale. I guess using that home analogy again, it would um, be sort of like saying if you maintain your house well all along, as opposed to calling in a horde of contractors two weeks before you put it on the market, it's just gonna be a much more uh, orderly process and you'll have a better feel for things. There's a number of areas where sellers are, our buyers are always going to ask questions and want information during the due diligence process that a buyer, uh, even if they're not thinking of selling in the, or a seller, even if they're not thinking of selling in the near term, should be thinking about. And that is getting things in order so they are in a fashion that if they would decide to sell a lot of this, Uh, due diligence work. And in this scenario, I'd call it seller's due diligence as opposed to the buyer's due diligence. There's things like corporate documents. I can't tell you how many times we've engaged with a client who wants to sell and asked to see their corporate records. And oftentimes there'll be articles of incorporation bylaws, opening minutes, and then nothing for the last 15 years. Uh, buyers want to see that stuff, so making sure that the corporate minutes are in good shape. Another area is the uh, the financials, making sure that their financials are in a uh, good presentable form, uh, hopefully by a CPA firm that uh, is well regarded we 've run into problems even with some really nice companies that have primarily done their financials internally, and that can be a real drawback, so thinking through whether the financial snapshot presented by their by their uh, financial records is good. We see issues with material contracts. Sometimes uh, a seller will have a very important contract or two, and will ask to see the contract with the supplier and the customer. Well, it's just on a handshake. You know, figuring out uh, what to do about that. Can it be documented? Is there a way to... Uh, a firm that is in place by confirming something with emails or whatever, those things are really important uh, to buyers as far as the continuity of the business. Intellectual property, your website, your trade names, your trademarks, have you done all those things the way you should? Did you have an independent contractor create some things for you that arguably they could tra- uh, claim some IP rights? patent rights or trademark rights or anything of that that sort. Um, HR related issues, have you run a good operation from an HR perspective doing the type of documentation you should do? If you have important people, do you have the appropriate type of uh, contracts, employment agreements in place with key employees to prevent them from or to to be an impediment against them leaving and then competing with the buyer when uh, they're going to look at who your key employees are and who they really think they need to carry the business forward. Uh, And then, you know, having licenses in place, if you operate in a number of states, are you confident that you have the appropriate authority to do business in all of those states? And then finally, if there's any type of disputes that have happened, have they been Are they hanging out there? Have they been closed out in a fashion that is clear? Um, All of those things that a seller can do on the front end are things that I think it can be really constructive to do during a period where um, they are sort of not necessarily reinventing themselves, but just making sure their house is in order uh, should they want to sell or uh, should something happen with the ownership of the company.
0: You know, Jim, this has been uh, such an interesting time because I think in terms of me working in the arena of estate planning and working with my clients, very often I bring up the idea of, well, if you die, but it's like when you die, Um, what's going to happen. And I'm wondering if when we come back from our break, if you could talk about the scenario, we've been talking right now about people planning to make a change in their business. But with this entire um, COVID-19, I think every single one of us at some point asks ourselves: if we get sick, would we die? Could we die? And that takes in everybody, whether you're a business owner, a parent, um, we're all worried, what if we get this? How will Mm -hmm. it impact us? Because nobody really knows how the impact is and everyone is different. So if you have a business owner that all of a sudden, number one gets sick and can't work and be running the business or actually ultimately dies, I'm curious as to, and has a spouse, does that change the value of the business? And what are some of the difficulties that people um, face when they haven't planned? And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense, I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am, actually the thing that's so fun about this, doing this is, this is my 30th year doing Money Sense. and from the day that I started it, it was all about education. And so we have never sold a product on, on the air. It's always been informed information so people could really make good decisions. And that's really what this whole series is about. And my guest today is Jim, Jim DeYoung and he is an attorney with O'Neill, Cannon, Holman, DeYoung and Lang, and right here in downtown Milwaukee. And the whole idea is to Um, you know broadly the news and the media says business is bad and companies are going out of business they make it sound like the entire world is falling apart and yes there are some areas that as we've already discussed that are struggling and businesses that may not come back but for the most part we're talking about the ability to plan and to be able to get a good price and to make a company valuable But I know even as owning my own company, when my daughter in 2014 became the president and as she started making changes, all I kept saying to myself is, I don't want anyone to change my baby's clothes. (laughs) 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 And, you know, and there I'm wearing all the hats and all of a sudden I realized that if it was ever going to be a time when I could retire or sell the business that I had to put some things in place. And so that was our succession plan that also was woven together with my estate plan. But I'm wondering, Jim, about those people in this, in this time frame where we've all been faced with a health crisis, what happens to someone if they die and they haven't made the plans, or what happens? How do you sell a business in that situation?
1: That's a mess. That's a really good <laughs> question. Uh, you know, we all think we're immortal, and I think you're right, Karen. Maybe people are sort of looking at that through a different lens in light of this crisis. Uh, Closely held businesses are obviously not like public companies. If a a shareholder in uh, Apple dies, it has no impact on Apple. But when you've got a closely held business, uh, family-owned, closely held business uh, or otherwise, And one of the owners dies, particularly if it's a controlling owner, Uh, unless there's been planning, it creates, it can create real chaos. And trying to sell a company that's in chaos, uh, whether that's operationally ownership or they go hand in hand often, is not a good situation to be in. We have seen a number of situations where uh, for whatever reason, um, uh, it was just hard for the owners to think about, think long-term enough to think about this fact that none of us are, Im- are immortal and everybody, everybody's going to die. So we've seen situations where, uh, because of the fact there hasn't been planning, let's say the wife runs the business and the husband does something else, the wife passes away, the, uh, husband gets the stock and is in control of the business, doesn't know anything about it, but maybe thinks he knows a lot about it. Uh, There's a team in place that's relying on the ownership of the company. Uh, Without planning and being inserted into that sort of situation can be really problematic. We've also seen situations where uh, there's a couple of generations involved and the patriarch or matriarch who runs a company passes away and uh, simply leaves the company. For example, the two kids on a 50 50 basis and the two kids don't get along and the two kids get into uh, c- control fights about what should happen, what should be done. Uh, some of those even end up in court. It's just not a good situation. Even if you, let's take away for a second, the tax planning that needs to go hand in hand with succession planning. But if there is not a good succession plan in place to address how the company would move forward should something happen to the uh, to the owner the controlling owner or what happens if a minority shareholder dies does that person's spouse end up with the stock or is the company able to get it back in a in a way that makes sense that's not going to cause them great financial stress it's not every business family or otherwise where the owner believes clear with clear eyes that the children or other shareholders that are in the business are the ones that should carry it forward. So we've had a number of clients do a couple of things. Number one, uh, designate that if something happens to him and her, there will be uh, either a board of advisors put in place. Or, uh, in fact, perhaps naming a board of directors, outside board of directors that will be put in place, or at least a couple of outside directors. And oftentimes they will even express their interest that uh, they want the board to uh, be cognizant of the fact that if the, even though it's family owned, that if the best business decision is to sell the company for the board to take the direction and uh, to, to go towards the direction of selling the company. Uh, succession planning is another thing that if it hasn't been done, this is really uh, any time a good time to do it. But with this mortality issue being at the top of people's minds right now and recognizing some of the horror stories that uh, can result. Uh, If it doesn't happen, it really is a good time. You know, if you have kids arguing at the Thanksgiving table, it's probably not going to be good when they're running the business together (laughs) every day either. You just can't make that assumption. So succession planning is key to ongoing value of the company if something happens to a uh, uh, controlling owner or a shareholder who is a key employee.
0: Jim, you've got um, a company that for most business owners, because it is their baby. And I, I tend to see when I'm working to get valuations with our clients that many times the value of the company is aligned more with what they feel it's worth than what it might be worth out in the marketplace. And now you might have two spouses or, and, or kids in the business thinking, wow, this business is really worth a lot of money. And then something happens within the business that wasn't maybe foreseen like a death or um, a a bad outcome with a product. I mean, it could be many different things or um, not having a sustainable business right now and all the future is gone and I'm guessing that when you start to value a business that there's a huge variance in the value depending on the, the ability to prove the value of course of the company but when the owner is gone or the one with all the information, this could be a family that thinks they have a business that's worth a lot of money. And they find out all of a sudden that there isn't the value there. They don't know how to run it. Um, all the information has just died with that person and trying to recreate it, even if there is a valuable business would be almost impossible.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And that's a not uncommon problem. Uh, I've seen a lot of situations where Uh, a client with a nice business will uh, have some preliminary conversations about uh, perhaps selling the company and oftentimes uh, we'll hear, well, I want X for the business. Well, have you had a valuation of the business done or have you worked with an investment banker to give you an idea for what the market's like? No, I just, I want X for the business because I think that's what it's worth. And uh, so in establishing longer term goals, I think one of the first things uh, is to have a realistic feel for what the, what the company is worth at any given time and what goes into creating that value. And I think working with uh, someone who's uh, uh, capable and competent in valuing businesses is important. That may be a valuation firm. It may be an investment banker that uh, can give a really good feel for what the market looks like. And then the second part of that that you mentioned, if there's any part of the value that's really tied to unique value and knowledge of one individual, uh, recognizing that and thinking through whether there are ways to mitigate that risk of that value enhancer suddenly disappearing as a result of someone's death. And, you know, that's something that can be done in a good planning process. Uh, the chief enemy of that for planning something like that, just like it is on the ownership succession, I think is, again, this immortality risk. Uh, but uh, having a clear, clear-eyed assessment of the fact I have all of this stuff in my head, nobody else knows it, and I'm invaluable and I don't really want to share it because it's confidential, uh, that's going to be a killer from the perspective of longer term creating value for the company and could create some real shock to the next generation if the plan always was, well, when mom or dad dies who controls the company, we'll just sell it at that point. So uh, planning is important. Planning is, is uh, it's so important that it just gets crowded out by the urgent things so often. And I know with some of the adjustments that the companies are making right now with uh, working remotely and some of the other things that are changing how they've done things, uh, I I think it's probably as good a time or the best time perhaps there's ever been to try to do some planning for other unforeseen things that could happen that are outside of our control. And uh, like I said, you don't want chaos and lack of planning. it's not, it's not a pretty situation to to talk with a client or a client's family after there's been one of those events and they're trying to pick up the pieces. It's hard enough if you've done the planning and everybody understands the plan and every everybody understands how it's going to work. There's still the human, the, the grief aspects of it. But if you throw that on top of just having the, uh, the mess in the business because of no planning being done, uh, it's, I like to have clients focus on what they can control. And one thing they can definitely control is doing planning. And uh, I can't emphasize that enough, and I'm sure you see it when you advise clients also, also. Just taking a longer term view and doing the planning.
0: You know, Jim, when I sit down with clients, I'll often ask them, let's look at the worst case scenario. Let's plan for the worst case, unexpected scenario. And that would be death. And then the plan for in some way, if you're um, incapacitated, um, what does that look like? And then we look at, you know, with family issues and problems, what are those? And so to kind of look at that. And then I always say, if you think about that, you've just been invited to a meeting and you realize it, that it's the first meeting that your attorney has called for your family after you've passed away. What do you see? I mean are are they celebrating your life and looking forward or are they trying to look backwards are they like turtles on their back that they don't know who to trust you know that it's just the picture alone but i think that um so many people have said to me well i'll be done i'm not going to worry about it because they know that there's family issues or they know there's difficulties But you have to think that not only do you, when this happens, whatever it is that would impact the company, it's affecting your employees, it's affecting your customers, Mm -hmm. it's affecting the community, it's affecting the vendors. And I mean, so it's important to know how that's all going to land on each one of those people, whether you're selling or you're into a forced sale. My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung, and he is with the firm O'Neill Cannon Holman, DeYoung and Lang. If you would like to reach out to him, it's 414-276-5000, and we will be right back. And Jim, I was thinking, what if we could just cover some of the issues that, um, I guess it define the difference between um, the different types of sales and maybe to give some ideas as to how people can approach this. I'm curious, how long does this take? And when should people start? And it's very obvious that it's important to have and build that relationship with the trusted advisors to pull the team together so that people can get together to really support you. And if not just to support you, but to support your family, your beneficiaries, your business. Mm-hmm. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is attorney Jim D. Young. And as I've said a few times, he's with O'Neill, Cannon, Holman, D. Young, and Lang, and his phone number is 414-276-5000. You can tell by the interview that he is passionate about what he does and that he has done deals because this isn't his first rodeo. (laughs) You have a lot of stories to go along with the things that are right and the things that can go wrong. And so I think one of the things that often goes wrong in our business with planning is people wait too long and Mm -hmm. it's in a crisis. Somebody has died or they're being retired or they've been left go or something has happened. And it's always so much nicer that when you have a history, you have some historical data behind that relationship um, to do your job. And so I'm wondering, Jim, what are some of the things that make it difficult for you and how long does this whole process of trying and wanting to perhaps sell or transition your business, um, what, what does that look like?
1: Uh, that's a good question and it varies uh, a lot. The, probably the atypical situation is when somebody has a very good idea of what the value of their business is. They have somebody that they know is interested uh, in buying the business and has the financial wherewithal to do it, and so they come in and they say they want to get that process going uh, if that's the case, and if that is accurate, you know you're probably talking a period of uh ninety days to six months. The more typical situation is when somebody said, "You know I think in the next twelve months and the next twenty four months, I want to sell my business there's uh, that requires some game planning. Uh, you know, usually you there you're going to be a couple of different categories of buyers: strategic buyers, people that are in the business so understand something about your business, and then the financial buyers, typically uh, private equity firms. Uh, having an understanding of what the value of your business in the marketplace is is really important because these unrealistic expectations will get you nowhere. So whether you're thinking whether the client is thinking of a sale that's an asset sale or a stock sale and prime there's differences that so we don't need to get in there. They all involve uh, essentially the same money coming to the clients with some different uh, tax ramifications, or a merger, which is just another way of, of accomplishing a sale of a, the business. The important thing is is how do you identify who the buyers are and who can best present that picture to those buyers? That's why in our in our experience, I think it's really helpful for a client to uh, interview some uh, M&A advisors or investment banking firms, we call them. The advantage of that is they've got databases and relationships with people that are l- looking for businesses, private equity firms that are, are looking for businesses. So uh, we always think putting a team together that has a, a strong accounting firm and a good uh Investment banking firm is really helpful because you don't just put an ad in the paper that you want to sell your business. So uh, doing that professionally, and then if you look at this whole due diligence process, if we assume for a second that the pause button comes off uh, at some point in the next few months, you know, typically I would say that uh, it's going to take you uh, a year perhaps to get your own seller seller due diligence in order and then to go to market to pull together the information that's, uh, that's needed in order to get it, uh, take the company to market. So again, preparation and planning. Um, I know clients get letters all the time. We want to buy your business. Here's who we are. Um, and sometimes that works, but if they're a professional and have a good idea of what they think the business is worth, Um, you're going to be at a distinct disadvantage if you haven't done your homework on your end as to why that's either a good value or why that's undervalued and why so homework and prep
0: you know jim one of the things that i've discovered with working with clients and you know of course we're always looking at if they retire how much money will they have Mm -hmm. and if they have a business they're looking at selling the business and inevitably as we get through they'll say well my car my insurance comes through that and i can deduct this and i have all these benefits and if i sell my business i won't get a paycheck anymore and yeah. and you know there's all this this fear and this emotion so i think it's not only important to understand selling your business but also to understand what it's going to be like after and mm-hmm. we sit down and we try to show them well you know, you don't have, you You don't need to save anymore because now you have a spending account, not a savings account. Right. And your business is now your new paycheck. But it's very hard for a business owner who's worked their whole life to sometimes make that transition. And at the very end, they're like, oh, I just don't think I'm ready because of this. And yeah. you must run into that as well.
1: We do. We, we see that a lot. That You know, I think sometimes it's easier for all of us, and I see this with business owners clients, it's easier to uh, just to not want to know some facts because they might concern you. So just going along happily, uh, not having a clear understanding of some of those facts in the short term seems to be better. But, you know, controlling what you can control and understanding realistically what the picture would look like if you would sell the business makes all the sense in the world because otherwise the unpleasant surprises, uh, they're just, they're controllable, but you need to understand the facts.
0: And sometimes it doesn't even boil down to how much money you have. It's having a relationship with that money to know what you can actually do with it. And sometimes there's enough to be very, very philanthropic. Sometimes, you know, people, what I have found, at least with my clients, their lifestyle doesn't go way up just because they've sold their business. Mm -hmm. people live the way they've always lived. My guest today is attorney Jim DeYoung, and he is with O'Neill Cannon, Holman, DeYoung, and Lang, and he is located right downtown in Milwaukee. His phone number is 414-276-5000. And as Jim has said, the planning is important. Being transparent is important. Put a team together, your attorney, your accountant, um, your, your investment advisor. Um, make sure your insurance is in place, make sure all your estate planning documents are placed, that you do have a plan. Uh, Planning is really the critical piece to all of this. And I think we've all been made aware with this crisis that we are vulnerable and there are certain things we don't control, but what we can control is how our business will pass when it passes because eventually it is going to do that. Jim, thank you. This was an absolutely interesting and great interview. I appreciate you you taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time um, to do this with me and uh, have a really great day. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash Money Sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.